Coming up next, we're talking about Glass Onion, the sequel to Knives Out that is just sublime. We loved it. Spoilerific review next. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Oh, hello, listener, and welcome to another episode of Magnificently Huge Podcast. This is number 249 in our continuing saga about pop culture, movies, music, TV, blah, blah, blah. This one's all about Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery, which is the sequel to, as you may have deduced, Knives Out by Ryan Johnson, uh, featuring Daniel Craig as world's greatest detective Benoit Blanc, solving yet another Eat the Rich mystery uh, with murder and mayhem and satire galore. Uh, set on a Greece island this time at the height of the pandemic back in 2020. It's uh, not so much concerned with the mystery as it is just about making fun of everyone and everything related to the genre. It's a uh, it's a good poke. It's enjoyable. It's fun. If you pay attention, you will be rewarded handsomely. And we're going to give a very spoilerific review uh, in response to said movie. It's just lovely. If you didn't like this movie, well then bugger off. And find yourself another podcast because uh, we loved it. Let me just be up front. Uh, so that said, there's still going to be some stuff we're talking about that you may enjoy even more uh, called The Fresh Shit. So stick around. Enjoy the show. If you like what you hear, send us uh, your emails to magnumsahugegmail.com. We're also on Twitter at maghuge until Twitter goes away. Uh, then we're also on Facebook and Instagram. You can catch us on uh, all kinds of stuff at our uh, well, let's say our website, maghuge.com. Just go on over there. There's links and stuff. And, uh, you know, enjoy the show. Send us your thoughts, your prayers, your jokes, your opinions, uh, your hate mail, whatever. Just uh, keep in touch. Listen to the program. Enjoy the show. All about Glass Onion. Stick around. Enjoy the show. We'll catch you on the next E. Goodbye and thank you. Hey, guys. How's it going? What's up? Magnificent Huge Podcast. The, 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 show, the show with the mostest that, until now, you've probably never heard of, but we've been on the air forever. I'm Eric. Yeah. I'm Brian. I'm Chris. Oh, we did and it. this is my NPR voice. I am Ira Glass, and you're listening to Magnificently Huge. Yeah. In this week's we podcast, the rest? we talk about Glass Onion. A Knives Out mystery. <laughs> is a Knives Out mystery. You know... You know that chafes Ryan Johnson to no end that he had to put a Knives Out mystery on that title? Because no one would apparently know <laughs> that it's a sequel to Knives Out because they're dumb. I hate all of yeah. it. I, I, I like, read it as like, I, I thought it was like a dig at a Star Wars story because it's yeah. not like a main, <laughs> a main yeah. like Knives Out mystery. It was sort of a one-off comedy that was yeah. kind of a mystery. Like, well, they, they didn't even try to like rebrand Knives Out as Knives Out, a Benoit Blanc mystery. Yeah, yeah. It's right. Like they could have done that. It's some producer. No. But, but the, my favorite thing about all of that, though, is that uh, somebody decided <laughs> to suggest that on the third one they need to call it a Glass Onion mystery. They need to make that like yes. the whole thing. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, we can get into it. We can get into it. But yeah, uh, good times. Good times. Good, good times. times. 
Uh, well, uh, we're gonna we're gonna get to that in a little bit. Check the show notes for the timestamp if you want to go straight to it. But we always start the show off talking about things we've been watching, reading, doing. It's a segment called the fresh shit. This shit is fresh. Oh shit, it's fresh. This stuff is really fresh. Got, got a few things I want to talk about. Um, got some some video game just quick quick updates. Finished God of War Ragnarok. You've been playing um, that for a while, haven't I, you? Well, it's yeah, it takes like forty hours to finish the thing. Uh, um, oh, okay. I uh, I had come at it originally saying, well, yep, it's more God of War. It's just kind of that, but more. It gets better, but it, okay. So this is a thing. This is a thing where I show my age a bit because this is a video game that distinguishes itself through its writing and its characters and the performances from the previous one which are all top drawer actually but like i just don't think about video games in terms of ooh i want to play this game so i can hear a story right <laughs> i i think about video games as i want to play a game with game mechanics and stuff yeah and and really this is this is a game i could not play like on mute while i tried to you know listen to something else because it is just nonstop story. It is nonstop dialogue and character moments and stuff, which are all great. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess that's not what I go to games for. So, so it, it was kind of weird for me. <laughs> so this one is just way too much exposition dumping throughout. Uh, it's actually good character stuff, and it. But but yeah, it's incessant. Because um, <laughs> that was always and like, I and I haven't played games in forever, but I just. Anytime I would play a game and then it would stop for the cutscene that went on for like five minutes, I just about put my foot through the TV because it's like you oh, can't you can't go through scenes. You're you're playing the whole time. Oh god! It's just that the characters that are along with you are constantly talking, and oh, you're constantly talking. That's terrible. Yeah. Oh. oh. Can, I, can I say it? No, it's better than cutscenes. Can I say it? Can I say it? Yeah. Too yeah. much chibba jabba. Not enough chop chop. Not enough chop chop. Yes, <laughs> I pity the fool. Yeah, okay. I mean, in fairness, it is God of War. There's a lot of chop chop in God of War as well. So does does he um, have the the weapon that had like the extendable chains with the hooks on it? That was oh yeah. that was my favorite weapon playing that game. I used it all the time, and I got very good at it. So if you can if yeah, you can do no. that one, I'm I, I'm I'm all there. Okay. He's got that, and he's basically got um a. Stormbreaker. He's got this big ass axe that he can throw and call back. And you actually fight Thor in this game. It's like it is. It is the. It is Ragnarok after all. Right. Right. Um. It's it's a really good game. Uh. It just wasn't. It didn't blow me away. But I also wanted to kind of talk about the the sort of other side of that coin, which is like the perfect Game Pass game. It's a it's a trifle. It's a trivial nothing of a game. You shouldn't spend a lot of money on it, but if you've got Game Pass, you can play it and have a good time and then dispose of it. And they also talk incessantly, and it's called High on Life. And High on Life is a as best I can describe it, it's a first-person shooter. It's also a parody of first-person shooter because it was made by Squanch Games, which is Justin Roiland's game company. Oh, okay. oh, I saw this. Yeah, and the gun has a yeah. face on it that's talking to you, and it sounds like Morty. Yes, yes. Squanch Games. Oh, you, you watch your mouth, sir. You watch your it's, mouth. It's a real thing. 
It's a real thing. No, High on Life is its actually, uh, it's a very competent first-person shooter, and um, it's its making, it's meta, it's making fun of itself. The, the, clip, right? the clip I saw was at some point, like like a speedrunner was doing a video of how he was speedrunning a level, and a an animated character comes onto the screen going, oh, hey, are you speedrunning? That's cool if you want to do that. I mean, if that's the way you play games, that's yeah. fine. I don't yeah, know. That's exactly how it is. <laughs> that's exactly how it is. Okay. Like there's a character, an NPC standing around and they're just talking like, I'm so lonely. I have all this great information. I'm just sitting here fishing away, waiting for someone to come over and ask me stuff. And if you ignore him <laughs> and walk away, he starts calling after you like, hey, hey, fuck you. Hey, <laughs> you don't talk to me. <laughs> that sounds like a riff on like Mr. Poopy Pants or something. It kind of is. There's okay. a there's a psychotic knife that just really really wants to stab everyone. He's like, yeah, yeah, stab him, stab me into him. Come on, let me kill. I want to kill. You know, and it yeah. This is the game. Also, if you want to, you can just fuck off and do nothing in your living room in this game. And they have the entire movie, the entire movie of Tammy and the T Rex as part of this game, and you can just sit there and watch it. <laughs> I bet you the rights were cheap. I bet you. Uh, yeah, you think? Yeah, you think? Uh, <laughs> okay. So yeah, I, it's it's like the perfect game cat pass game. It's like zero commitment, but entertaining. And yeah, you can walk I away wonder, and not feel any guilt. I wonder how much like voice content they have to put together in order for that not to get boring. Because like after a few hours of gameplay, once you start hearing the same jokes over and over again, that's got to get on your last nerve. I don't, I don't think that, that they ran out of content. In and, fact, I think they know it. There, at one point, there's a character that scoots into your view and just starts talking and talking and bitching about its, its little character life, and you can't shoot it. You try to shoot it, and it keeps zipping out of the way, and it gets irritated <laughs> with you trying to shoot it. And, and you're like, there's no way this is going to keep going. And it goes on for at least 15 minutes. This guy just does not shut up. And it's like, <laughs> Money well spent. So, enlighten me, because you both play games. I do not anymore. Uh, it's, none of it's on physical media anymore, right? It's all just through streaming or whatever. Eh, you can. Okay. Some of it is. Not all of it. I'm right. happy to be free of physical media. Once, once I got this new Xbox where everything, where it doesn't even have an optical drive, I love mm-hmm. not having to wait for shit to load or worry about yes. discs getting scratched. Yeah. Fuck it. No, yeah. this is great. Okay. Because the only the reason I bring it up is because, uh, especially during the pandemic when you know everybody just started streaming and whatnot, and we all have uh, fairly particular tastes. I think it's apparent from this show. But there are certain times where you get a, a hankering for a particular movie. And I would go try to find it. Yeah. And I couldn't. And I would, I, I would try not to dig into my giant stack of old DVDs because it's totally unorganized and it would just annoy me. But mm-hmm. I know I'd had the DVD somewhere, but I would never go find it. I would just give up and watch something else. Because that's where we are as a culture now. <laughs> so I was just curious if you actually had physical media for the games at this stage or not. Well, I mean, with the games, if you keep them downloaded onto a hard drive, then you've still got them. And right. it, it does need to check in with a server every now and then, or at the very least, you have to be running it on the console that you said, this is my main axe or whatever. Okay. Uh, but, I mean, they certainly could lose the rights to things and pull stuff. I mean, it the digital media future is a hellscape. 
right? But it is a lot it's, more it's convenient. So, it totally is. <laughs> my, okay. And my, yeah, my hope is honestly, yeah, it's like, yeah, rights will pass into oblivion, but this is so new now. I'm probably, I'm probably going to be either too old or too dead to play these things by the time it becomes an issue. It's like, right, if you're you in your teens or twenties, yeah, you're you're in for a time, but you know, figure out a way to offload your favorite shit if you want to play it later. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of coming up on the end. I had a dentist appointment this week where they were like, "Oh, you're losing some uh uh you know some bone on this part of your teeth. That could be a problem." I'm like, "Yeah, a problem in the next twenty years. I don't think it will." <laughs> I I <laughs> I am almost done, okay? My escape clause is about to go into effect. I'm not worried. <laughs> okay. I'm the I only person at which I... we don't fix the problem with the car cuz it costs more than the car. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Eric is you know? basically a broken down Volvo at this point. <laughs> I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. I'm I've basically I've had my body is a rental car that I've been treating like shit for the entire time. And I'm just looking forward to the yeah. point at which I return it. You know, yeah. here you go. As long as we've Done. known, as long as we've <laughs> known you, you've been actively pursuing death, and I appreciate yeah. that about you. Yeah, yeah. But because nothing I've, here I've is had, any good. Who gives a shit? Yeah. It's all I've horrible. Your, I've had your <laughs> eulogy written for about 25 years, if I'm honest. And you just won't is it a die. Congratulations so I can, uh, to to everybody else. You did us all a favor with your demise. That's sort of the favor. <laughs> it's like, hey, good news, oh, my I'm friend. That's over. My yeah, friend yeah. won the lottery. Yeah, he doesn't yeah, have yeah. to come back. It's it basically starts with here lies one dead Eric. It's it's uh, a riff on the Monty Python. Uh, <laughs> but you know, R.I.P. Physical media and us. I think is what yeah. we're saying. Here. Okay. Can I? That actually leads into something I had. If if, if okay. go. that's cool. Do it. I okay with the thing with it's so funny how this rolled out because the thing is I don't have many games for the Xbox, but what I do have I play a lot of. So when I switched to a non-optical drive device, I had to rebuy a couple of games. One of the ones I didn't bother rebuying until this week was Grand Theft Auto Four. Now that's mm. that's Where's the that sort of set? low, the low tech. Uh, that's one's in Liberty City. That's sort of the New uh, York version. Yeah, that okay. was from like 2006. Like it's the Xbox 360, PlayStation exactly. 3 oh, wow. generation Grand Theft Auto game. I forgot how bad it looks. I mean, <laughs> it looks really bad. <laughs> I mean, I mean, can you still kill hookers with a chainsaw? How bad could it be? It's. It's just, it's yeah, it's just clunkier, more cartoony. Once they got to five, things look more realistic-ish. Um, okay. There's the car physics aren't there. It's not a car game the way five is, uh, but it probably has the most realistic physics of the games. Like cars actually handle poorly the way they're supposed to. <laughs> a real um, dragon wouldn't do that. That's just yeah, the, yeah. When you spin, when you lock up the the brakes on a car, it lurches as it's supposed to. You know, it doesn't mm -hmm. go sliding for 120 feet. But it's, yeah, it's it's like having played Grand Theft Auto Five for a long time now. Going back to this is it's kind of a headache, but at the same time, I appreciate how much I don't know uglier do you, it is. Do you get good music though? Is it like of no. 2006? No, I, d I don't think there's any music. 
Oh, okay. Isn't that like that's? Oh, the, really? They lost the licenses or something? Wow. I did. I, I was. I haven't. I might have had it turned off. I'll have to go back. Okay. Because all those settings. Like, the that's thing with the thing. Yeah. the thing with the 360 port on uh, you know the the new Xboxes is that your save data is still in the cloud. So it went and it found. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it went and found my old saves from all you know from from the last time I had this game. So I probably had it turned off then. But now it plays at a nice frame rate and it loads real fast. So that's but nice. that's the thing that 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 drives me bonkers. Like the when I'm driving, whatever's in the distance is wicked fuzzy, like fuzzy, fuzzy, fuzzy. And I'm not sure if it was hmm. always that way or if probably. Yeah, I I don't get it. I can't believe I never complained about how fuzzy the background is. Or is it that now the screen is so clear? that I can recognize it as fuzzy, whereas before it just it's, looked like it was both. out of focus. It's, it's both. I mean, you got to remember that you're talking, again, you're talking early 2000s, so the aesthetic was where they were making the, car- the cartoons about real as brown, and like everything was like, you know, overly color graded because we're trying to do Lord of the Rings, and there's yeah. all this bloom effect, and it's all kind of low res. Like, all those games are like maybe 720p, and you're probably playing it on a lot more than that now. Right. So... Yeah, it's it, and I yeah, figured they couldn't handle they couldn't handle long draw distance. So I know that they had to right. have like fog edging everything like in the, the 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 far background. But I think now that yeah, like as you say, now that the screen rate is better on what I'm playing on, I can actually see that it's not it's not foggy. It's fuzz. It's like great yeah. huge pixels representing you know stuff. Yeah, yeah, and it's going to be lower res textures representing, you know, especially on the distant uh, levels of detail and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Now that I've got all of my old game systems together, I I've been playing other games, and I have not seen this on other ones though. Like when I hooked mm. up, but well, the thing is, okay, I I've I played a couple of Super Nintendo games, but I played them on a machine designed to play those old games. On, right. Right. You know, in eight in in HDMI, so. Yeah. I don't know. Chris, Riveting. are you bored yet? <laughs> yeah, I, I was bored about <laughs> 10 minutes ago, but I'm, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. I don't remember Riveting. the last time I played a video game at home, but yeah. you know, that's Chris, cool. Chris, whenever video games come up, so is it like Sonic the Hedgehog? <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. You remember Powerball on Sega Genesis? That was my game. And that's like nobody's going to know what the hell Powerball is. <laughs> so uh, that's where I'm at. Uh, what's the one with uh, uh, the invaders and they're coming from space and you have to shoot the invaders <laughs> from space? Uh, is it is it Pac-Man? I yes, that's it. Yeah. So, yeah. But you oh, guys, God. you guys go okay. ahead. It's just like when you guys start talking about Star Trek, I'm a, my eyes roll in the back of my head and I take a nap for about oh. five Eric, minutes. Eric, let's find a Star Trek video game and really alienate Chris. <laughs> no. oh. I've been, well, you know, I've been playing Star Trek timelines for like about five there years it is. now. Oh, it's a, oh, it's a mobile game. God. It's yeah. I've been playing it forever. And, uh, I'm like, I, I, I now I, I actually run a fleet, which is to say other players. I have other players in my squad. <laughs> that I've never met. Like some of them are in Canada, some of them are in are in England, and I'm yeah, yeah. No, I'm full geek. That, yeah, they, and they take you, orders from you. 
It's more like when we have our weekly uh, events, because the game has these weekly events. Uh, I, like, supply them with crewmen that'll help them, because I've got so many mm -hmm. who are, like, top tier. I've been... Yeah, I'm... It's it's a little crazy. They, you can only get up to level 99, and I've been level 99 for about a year now. <laughs> oh, 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 sorry. Chris, like, sorry. Yeah, me too. On himself. Oh, yeah. Me too. Sorry. Did I miss anything? Uh, Apparently not. Nope. Uh, <laughs> go, Star Trek, uh, yeah, a Star Trek video game. We were creating, like, yeah. you know, elemental well, horror for you. Well, all right. If you're going to throw down that bullshit, I'm going to throw some bullshit at you that will make you <laughs> snore. Because I've been watching a lot of Petticoat Junction reruns of late. What do you think about that? Holy God. Are, are you serious? Yeah, 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 yeah. Please don't be serious. Go ride the little train that is rolling down the tracks to the junction. Forget about your cares. I wanted, that time to be, to relax I wanted them the to make that into a porno in the worst yeah, yeah. way. Every time I watch that opening sequence, I'm like, oh my God. I, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it's please. A, it's a terrible, terrible show, but it's just one of those staples of my youth. And it's just been on Pluto TV, I think. Keep showing it. And it's of the, like, the ilk of Beverly Hillbillies and. Uh, Green Acres yeah, it's and like whatnot. A cut rate Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except for Cleveland. Well, it's right? it's the yeah. it's uh Paul. Were you just like sick your whole childhood, and you were just doing sick days watching TV? <laughs> yeah, at home yeah, yeah. All the time. I was. I was a very sickly child. I had uh, okay. asthma and stuff, so I I got to stay home quite a bit. So yeah, I watched the shit out of this stuff. But it, that one's it's created by Paul Henning, who also did the Beverly Hillbillies and all those rural comedies. Uh. And it's just, it's notable for having the opening sequence where it's the, the, the water tower for the train and all the, the little buxom girly girlies are swimming in it. And, uh, and that's sort of the cheesecake factor. And it's like, I couldn't even describe any of the plots to any of these episodes even now. They're just so not there. But the only reason I bring it up is because the woman who played Kate, the owner of the Shady Rest Hotel, is an actress named B. Benenderay. And who was, I think, Jethro's mom in the Beverly Hillbillies. But I didn't realize that she did a shit ton of voice work in her, her career. And she is the original Betty Rubble on the Flintstones cartoon. So now when I watch Petticoat Junction, that's all I can see anytime she opens her goddamn mouth. And it's so weird <laughs> to me because it's a disconnect. But she was also Witch Hazel in the uh, Looney Tunes cartoons. Uh, which is just astonishing to me. And so that was sort of my little uh, like tidbit of trivia from that. Uh, mm. But yeah, it's just like one of those you turn it on and it just plays for four hours on repeat and just blurs into the background. <laughs> and it's just like comfort food. There was a, there was a thing in uh, uh, the early 70s, The Rural Purge, that yeah, uh, yeah, Petticoat yeah. Junction always makes me think of. CBS had a ton of shows like uh, Beverly Hillbillies, Petticoat Junction, um, Mayberry, RFD, yeah, yeah. all of these shows. And a new executive came in and said, you know, we've got too many shows about poor people. You know, we've, we've yeah. got to up our game. And so they got rid of all of those shows all at once. I think it was kind of the start of the MAGA shit we have now, be honestly, be. because we sort of said we're going to reject everyone who doesn't live in a city yeah yeah well you know 
Petticoat Junction, I'm not even going to bother to explain it to the people who have no idea what I'm talking about. Just look it up. Google it and uh, enjoy the fun because it's just such a and throwaway. They- <laughs> such a throwaway. Those, those, three, those three girls, they're not swimming in the water tower. They're skinny dipping in yeah, the yeah. water tower. So Petticoat Junction has vagina-flavored water. Well, and I'm pretty sure that's what makes everyone so like sex starved in that. that well, th- I mean, that's <laughs> even addressed in the fucking theme song, though, by the third stanza. It's lots of curves, you bet, and even more when you get to the junction. Petticoat With the vagina junction. water. Yeah. But I'm Did watch- I mention vagina water? Because yeah. it's got vagina water. And Uncle Joe. <laughs> but, it's, but I'm watching these and I'm thinking, man, th- I just take that theme song. But do uh, like a Platinum Dunes or something uh, remake, but do it as a horror thing where it's like a like a creepy ass House of a Thousand Corpses hotel in the middle of nowhere. But do the the theme song in the trailer. Come ride a real train that is rolling down the tracks to the junction and then intercut it with like the most stab, horrific. Stab, stab, yeah, stab, yeah, jump, yeah. Cut, scream. And then okay. forget about your cares. It is time to relax at the junction and like, ah, I mean, that just to me would be amazing. So somebody needs to get on that <laughs> petticoat junction. <laughs> so that's that. But the only other thing that's uh, been floating my boat this week is uh, I finally started watching Dairy Girls on Netflix. Which is that's a the, weird, funny show. That is an amazing show. I put it off because it's just one of those that fell off to the wayside, and I can't. Hey, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. So I finally started it, and it is one of the funniest goddamn things I have ever seen. Right. Because it's like it takes place in the '90s at the end of the Troubles in Northern Ireland, and it's the disconnect between the way teenagers are just teenagers, and then all the other, like larger world implications of the conflict that's going on about them between the Protestants and the Catholics. And it's just so, so goofy uh, the way they just do the, the typical teenage bullshit. Uh, and then they throw in the, like a hint of what's actually going on around them. And it, it explains so much as to why they're so fucked up. Uh, but it's just, <laughs> it's so funny. And I highly recommend it. If any, any of you have not seen it, because it just nails teendom to a T. I mean, this is pitch perfect. And they're also weird and goofy and just strange. And there's a lot of just ridiculous stuff. Like one girl, her cousin who grew up in London has been come, has come back and living with them, but he's not allowed to go to the boys' school because they fear for his safety, so he has to go to this <laughs> all-girls Catholic school with his cousin and her friends, and then everybody just assumes he's gay, always telling them, no, I'm not, but they just keep hitting at that. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> so, so, And there, there, there is a nun in there, uh, uh, Sister George Michael, mm-hmm. who is so funny. Because she is such an asshole. Yeah. Well, because to <laughs> her, it's an like asshole perfectly. Yeah. Because it's to her, it's not a, it's not a calling. It's just a job for free accommodations. And exactly. so she's just like, yeah, yeah, fuck you, whatever. She's always rolling her eyes and just, you know, it's fun. But every episode is basically this little core group of teenagers getting into trouble for something and then having to explain themselves, and it just gets worse and worse. It's so it's such good writing. Uh just. I don't care if Irish, American, English, whatever. It's just spot on. And uh, I think there's like three series 
So I'm looking forward to finishing it. But apparently Martin Scorsese loves it and says it's one of his favorite shows. And that's what spurred me to like, oh, I forgot about Dairy Girls when I read that. And then I went back and watched it. So that's my recommendation. Top tier gold star for the week. Dairy Girls. Yeah. So it's very good filler. If you're yeah. waiting for something you really, you know, if you got nothing else to watch, it's, it's actually very good. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's real good. So there you go. Beat that. Who's next? Anybody? Hey, it's Brian. Well, I just want to. I just want to encourage people to support local, like artists who are doing cool shit. Um, and in my case, uh, I did go out on New Year's Eve. Uh, didn't actually like stay anywhere till midnight. I was home before like eleven, but like an adult, uh, we went to see. Yeah. But we went to see a local burlesque show um, that was Spellbound Burlesque, and they were awesome, and there was all these awesome people at it. Like, the crowd was was half the fun. Like, everyone came, like, dressed to to be kind of weird and impressed. Like, there was this one, uh, there was this one lesbian couple that came in, and one of them came just completely dressed as the other's pimp, like, <laughs> with the hat and the fur coat and the whole thing. Aww. It was amazing. That's um yeah, they were adorable. Um adorable pimps. It was yeah. it was just a lot of fun. We saw this this really awesome girl from Bisbee who did like the, you know, the Mexican skirt dance but burlesque style. Great stuff. Uh Did you perform? So uh I, you know, not this time. Okay. There's always but next time. The the host was was this dude who who's called Matt Finish. And uh, oh, he he did perform, and he was he was definitely a showstopper. Yes. Okay. So okay. Yeah. Okay. Support support. What I'm saying is, go out in the world and support your local boobies. That's what I'm. No, no. I'm saying go out in the world and support any local artists that are trying to make an interesting scene happen. Because maybe maybe you'll meet some cool yeah. people in my neighborhood. Because yeah. we live near Boys Town in Chicago, so there are they're basically a a drag brunch on every corner in like a seven block radius. And so New Year's was a big nice. deal. So there, there were a lot of posters and things up for various shows, but I didn't go because who can stay up that late? <laughs> but I imagine it was very good. <laughs> so there you go. And if you can't stay up late, stay in and watch a Netflix movie like, I don't know, our main topic for the week? Uh, a Knives Out yeah. Mystery, Glass onion was that it a move the kind of movie onion. old people like to watch i i <laughs> recommended a... i recommended this to my mother uh when i spoke with her around the holidays but she had never seen knives out so i'm like well you gotta go see knives out first because it's amazing and then watch this she loved knives out and then i find out after the fact that they <laughs> she watched glass onion but had to stop about halfway through because she was just too tired to finish it, and she said she was too confused by what was going on, and I don't think she's finished it. <laughs> so I don't even <laughs> think she got to the point where the narrative takes the left turn and then does all the flashbacky stuff to explain everything that you've just seen. So uh, good luck to you, Ma, is what I'm saying. So, yeah, let's set the table a little bit. Glass Onion is a new Benoit Blanc mystery from Ryan Johnson, he who pissed off half of Star Wars yes. with The Last Jedi, which is one of the best Star Wars movies, period. God bless him. Yep. In my opinion. 
but um but he has been going and writing these these rather uh subversive taut little mysteries and uh this is the latest it has an all-star cast daniel craig janelle monet edward norton um catherine hahn whatever goldie hahn's kid's name is i can't think of her kate name. hudson catherine hahn um, kate hudson leslie odom jr yep uh jessica henwick yep. and dave bautista bautista yeah, yeah. so it's a it's and a packed cast it's a packed cast but i think before we progress uh we need to throw the spoiler bumper because uh, if okay, we're going to talk yeah, about spoilers it. Spoilers for Glass Onion, everybody. This shit is spoiled. Spoilers. What do you mean? Spoilers. Spoiled me. Yeah, because if we're talking about this. And, and we're, probably Knives we're Out. We're talking about this. So, <laughs> congratulations. So, uh, yeah, yeah, right yeah. off the bat. So, did you guys like this movie? Yes or no? I loved it. Loved, loved it. it. Absolutely. Loved it. Because yes. it was not it was not all too wrapped up in I guess it's mystery plot. The thing I never liked about Agatha Christie in general is that the whole thing is the mystery. Right. And there isn't much of anything else that's interesting. It's actually very dry. Characters only exist yeah, yeah. to service a mystery plot and yawn. This was actually just the opposite. There's a bit of a mystery plot because there has to be, but otherwise it's really interesting story and characters, and it's funny. Yeah, well, I it's like that. Actually, it, yeah. really funny. <laughs> I, I like that. It's 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 definitely in sync with Knives Out as far as you know flavor and thematics because it's another eat the rich type of mystery. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's more of a what done it than yeah. a who done it. I think it. it right? I think at the heart of it, it they get to it because uh, Janelle Monae's character Helen at one point in the proceedings uh, is writing the little graph down, you know, motive, opportunity, etc. And she's like, this looks like that that game Clue. I bet you're really good at Clue. And like Benoit Blanc is just like, no, I'm terrible at it. I'm just, I just, you, <laughs> you walk around and you just search room to room and look for, it's just so dumb. And I'm just terrible at it. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> and this is literally what Glass Onion is. is like he's making her go from room to room looking for clues. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, and so that's all that little like subtle just F you that Ryan Johnson is doing to everything. And then by the end, he's doing the, the main titles with the faces that's just like the end of the movie clue. And so just all these little meta references just flinging everywhere. I have, I've had to watch it a couple of times now to kind of pick them all. Yeah. So we can get to that. But uh the the fact that it's it's a very well done deconstruction of the Agatha Christie mold. This one's very evil under the sun. So so it's it's you know the detective on the re- remote island having to deal with all of the nonsense. But it's just so not interested in the mystery at hand <laughs> that it becomes so much more fun. Well, here's here's the thing, right? Like, and they even say, you know, I like the glass onion as a metaphor because it appears complex, but on the inside, everything is in plain sight. Right. And they keep trying to say that, like. Everything is just right here on the surface. It's all right in front of your nose. But it totally is not not in this movie. This is not one of those mysteries where on a second watch through, and I did do two two watches, you could have solved the mystery. Um, You definitely see what happened. It's right there on the screen, and you do miss it the first time. But um, but there is a... A twist in the middle, and this is probably the biggest of the spoilers, which is there was no possible way you could have known that Janelle Monet is playing the secret goddamn twin character. Right. And is impersonating 
her dead twin that none of the other characters know is dead, except for maybe one of them. Yeah. Or does he? And, and yeah, it's, it's not a mystery that you, the viewer, could have solved. No. You it's, just have to go with the story. It's totally uninterested in the mechanics of a, of a normal mystery movie. And I think that's what I love about it. Because the first Knives Out is very much a parlor mystery with flashbacks and they're piecing it all together. Uh, but this one, it's just, he's, he's thrown that out the window and it's just sort of an aside almost. And I just, I appreciate it because, and it's, and it, like little nuggets within the bigger where the whole thing is set on the island where the big uh, Elon Musk asshole character played by, uh, what's his face? Norton. Edward, Edward Norton. Norton. Uh, is putting on a murder mystery party where he's the victim. And literally within the first five minutes, Benoit Blanc just solves the whole thing because it's just so simple and stupid. (laughs) But the big Twitter guy thinks it's like this fabulous, complicated deal that he's come up with. And it just like peeling back all these layers of this glass onion to show that they're all just vapid and dumb and not as smart as they think they are. I think that's what I enjoyed most about it. But Brian Johnson just giving a big so, finger to everything. We're we're losing Eric. Eric, get in here. <laughs> uh, I keep thinking of the moment when he's trying to buy her time, and he says, "That's not a real word." And I'm like, "That <laughs> that yeah. was the most enjoyable part for me when he's like, yeah, it's not a mystery. You're just dumb. You're very dumb, yeah. and nobody <laughs> seems to have caught on how fucking dumb you are. And this is exactly what's going on right now with Elon Musk. Yeah. That everyone is suddenly yes. realizing this genius is not a fucking genius. This genius has bought his way into stuff so that he can say, "Look how genius yeah. I am." Well, and what's that's the, the thing you sent out, Brian, about the guy who's like, uh, Elon Musk said he knew everybody. It's, everyone said Elon Musk was a genius at cars and I don't know anything about cars. So I assumed he must yeah. be a genius. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and, and then, then everyone like, said, but I do know code. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now and, I'm not so sure I should get in his cars. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's that it's, it's, he, you know, this guy who is supposedly a genius, who's really just a, a dumb shit. And it, to me, that's even better than just eat the rich. Yeah. That is, the rich are trying to make out like this is a meritocracy, and it totally the fuck isn't. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what's astonishing from the get-go about it, is because Johnson, I mean, wrote this thing well before any of the Twitter nonsense. Uh, he wrote it well before Andrew Tate just got smacked down by Greta Thunberg and then got arrested for sex trafficking, like the misogynist jackass uh, influencer. So there's all these parallels to the stuff that has just happened. But Johnson made this movie like last year, I think it yeah. was. And so it's just so weird how it fits. And I think that's what's, yeah. what pisses people off is that it just hews a little too close to the bone. And so the people that are complaining the most about this movie are probably the ones that see themselves the most in it. And that to me is yeah. what's I so mean, delicious. It's not like we couldn't make fun of Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg or Trump or any of these like people who build up their, their image to be far larger than it is deserves to be like we've, we've, we've known this for a while. Well, the fact that anything, it makes Ryan Johnson a bit smarter. It's not just, you know, like, like happenstance that he made a movie about uh, a tech genius who's actually a complete dummy. It's more like 
he was telling us the whole time, just wait for it. Elon Musk is a total dummy. Yeah. <laughs> anyone anyone paying attention can see this guy is a piece of shit yeah. and don't well, listen to him. Well, I love the fact that the whole theme with his character, Miles Braun, uh, is that he wants to be remembered in the same breadth as the Mona Lisa. And there's that whole sub-contextual <laughs> thing where he's paid the Louvre, which he calls the Louvre, another malapropism from that yeah. jackass character, where he's rented it from the Louvre because they need money during the pandemic shutdown. And it's behind the glass thing, but he's also got a, a fail-safe switch that he can override. And then by the end, he's pushing this hydrogen fuel that's unstable, but he's just so far beyond any sort of normal thinking that he's pushing it, and then they basically blow up his entire glass onion and destroy. <laughs> and Janelle Monet's character destroys the Mona Lisa that he was gonna use it as unveiling for this clear hydrogen fuel, yeah. and now he really is. But even at the end, he's like, "You just what for what? Just so punk rock, such a tantrum, and for what?" And she has to spell it out for him again. She's like, "You wanted to be known in the same breath as the Mona Lisa." And now you are. And the look on his face when it finally dawns on him at the end is just fucking priceless. And I almost stood up in my chair and applauded. I'm like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's talk about, I mean, that is, you know, that's sort of one of the, the nice little buttons on the, on the script. But let's talk about how tight this whole movie is just from the perspective of the Mona Lisa. Right. Right. Like, this is a tight-ass script. And, and so, like... Early on, when they're showing that he has the painting, he describes the Mona Lisa as inscrutable and different every time you look at her. And while he's saying that, they aren't showing the Mona Lisa. They're cutting to Janelle Monet, right. who happens to have the same expression on her face as the Mona Lisa in roughly the same <laughs> pose, right? Um, Which is the end shot of the movie and, as well. And then yeah, yeah. He, he gives, yeah, it's also the last shot of the movie. He gives a whole speech about being disruptors and what a real disruptor will do is to break the thing that nobody wants you to break, which he says is the system itself. But in this movie, the disruptor is Janelle Monet, yeah. who is going to break the thing nobody wants her to break, which is the Mona Lisa. Well, not of that, but he, <laughs> and then, but the fact that he manages to weave in all of the foreshadowing because they like they do a whole disruptor yeah. thing. So all of these people are part of the crew, and they get these stupid puzzle boxes, and they're all struggling to follow the rules and do that. And then at the very end, you cut to her. She's just staring at it, and she finally just beats the shit out of it with a hammer to open it up. So she's, from the start, she is the only true disruptor in this entire crew. And then it follows up later with the end. I just, I loved it. It's so tight. Well, yeah. And I think and then, it's very telling that he also, yeah, the, our, our tech genius isn't a tech genius. He, mm -hmm. he isn't any genius. He hired somebody to put those puzzle boxes together. Yeah. He hired someone else to come up with his murder mystery weekend. Right. You know, he hired someone else to come up with this uh, hydrogen thing that doesn't work. It's like he doesn't create anything. Again, you know, enter Elon Musk, yeah. who has and, not actually created anything. He, yeah. His and, big and, claim to fame is that he somehow invented banking, but online. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They, they, um... They also point out how dumb each of the characters are with the puzzle box because Dave Bautista's mom, who's barely paying attention, yes. has all the solutions to yeah. all the puzzles and nobody else does yeah. like easily. Well, right? and then Yo-Yo Ma <laughs> shows up to tell him what a fugue is and then that leads to the next thing. Yeah. And then they do the chess move, the, the I can't remember, what's it, the Fool's Gambit or something, which is basically checkmate in two moves. Uh, so 
so it's like all like all these simple things put together to to create the illusion of this elaborate puzzle box and it's just <laughs> it's just so funny when they dissect that throughout the movie as well based on the characters uh but then you've got the quotations like the stuff where benoit blanc is telling kate hudson's influencer character it's like it's a dangerous thing to mistake speaking without thought for speaking with the truth and you like see her looking mm-hmm. he's like are you saying i'm dangerous <laughs> it's like you did not even <laughs> he's like you didn't even hear what he just said it's like they're all so dumb and it, I, I love oh it. god no the funniest part well yeah okay no the most memorably funny part for me was when her assistant is talking to her and says, you know, I can't believe you, you greenlit having these made in a sweatshop in Thailand. And she's like, well, you know, they're very fashionable sweatpants. And her assistant says, dude, did you think sweatshop meant a place where they make sweatpants? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, ah, so there's that. There, there, there's one other thing I wanted to point out about, um, the Janelle Monet character, and and you know a lot of authors do this sort of thing, but uh, the names of her two sisters. So there's Andy and Helen, or Cassandra, and that is a reference, yeah, to Cassandra, who no one believes, Oracle. and Helen of Troy, yeah. who destroys the city. Yeah, right. So like it's right there. Yeah, it's good stuff. But it's yeah, there's just so many. I mean, again, glass onions, the metaphor, layers. Uh, but it's just like in Knives Out where he's talking about the donut has a hole, but inside that hole is another donut. I mean, and it's like keeps going in and in, and he keeps talking about how the glass onions layer upon layer, but at the center, it's so obvious. And then, you know, Miles Braun is trying to take credit for it all, and he's like, it's like genius. He's like, no, it's just dumb <laughs> at that point. Yes. Like the whole thing just falls <laughs> apart because it's like, you have, you've not only upset benoit blanc you've basically just irritated him to the point where he just can't take it anymore and has to just describe it all to you i just love that moment where it builds and he's just like no it's all just so dumb you know i loved it i loved it it's almost like it's a mystery because it's so dumb it's like they're so not planning into you're overthinking solving it yeah 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 yeah. speaking of overthinking it so there is this this stoner hippie dude Darryl. hanging out on the Darryl. island. He's going th- he's yeah, going through some things. He's he's going through some things and he walks by and they let, and they and they point to him and they're like, "Oh yeah, don't don't pay attention to him. He doesn't have any he doesn't, there's no point to him." And of course, everyone watching it the first time is like, "Oh, so how does Daryl play in it? He doesn't. Yeah. Don't yeah. pay attention to he's him. Like, it, there's no point. He's just he's just there." And I love because you know, that's You know what are yeah, yeah. You know what the 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 uh, um, the expression "red herring" means? It means that you're throwing off the hunting dogs by dragging a red herring fish like across your path, so that their scent is thrown off. And he literally walks across their path every time yeah, he's yeah. in there. He gums in left to right and gone, and just like, literally like a red herring. Yeah, and he keeps going. <laughs> Don't mind me. Like literally says it every time. Yeah. And it's yeah, but you, but you can't help but go. Where is he going to play into this? And I like that it's Ryan Johnson has used that actor in every movie because they're friends. Because he was the uh, the state trooper in Knives Out, and now he's in this as Daryl. Oh, but then he's also using Joseph Gordon Levitt 
as the voice of the mm-hmm. hourly dong. That's like his entire. Dong. That's his yeah. entire thing. Like every hour that just goes dong. And he had a cameo in the beginning of Knives Out. Yeah, and he's been in everything since Brick, uh, where they work together. So it's it's just funny that Ryan Johnson is doing these cameos, but in very goofy ways that are very creative. It's like he obviously spends a lot of time crafting this stuff, and I appreciate it all the more when you find out this stuff because it's just it shouldn't work, but it does. It's just like it's a mystery, but it's not. It's Clue, but it's not. It's just so dumb. <laughs> so it's... it's uh, can we, all of, can, all, all can of we Kate just, Hudson's stupidity to me is so just fun. Right. What is reality? Yeah. That... Just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh. Dude, can we just... Can we just gush for a minute about how awesome Janelle Monet is at everything? Right? Like... She she is a phenomenal performer and singer, but in this movie, she she really comes out as yeah. one of the strongest actors in a stacked cast. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, because she starts out wow, is she as good. Helen, or not Helen. She starts out as uh, Andy, who's the very cold. She's been shafted uh, by the whole group. Yada yada. Rich, rich bitch. bitch. Yeah. And well, uh, she she starts out as Helen playing Andy, right? Because yes. we're. We're not even sure what, yeah, yeah. you know, but, but we know nothing about that. But she's very poised and in control, etc. And then when you get to the flashback section and you find out that it's really Helen, who's her teacher sister's twin from Alabama, and she's got the, the twang and has to learn how to be Andy for this ruse that Blanc has put her in. I mean, it's, it's two very distinct characters, and she plays them both so believably that it's like, holy shit. I mean, acting, you know what I mean? And you just wouldn't expect that Mm -hmm. from someone who, uh, I know she's had other acting gigs, but mostly I know her as the, the singer performer. And so it's, it's quite astonishing to see this accomplishment, but it's again, like you say, it's a stacked cast. Like, uh, Bautista is amazing in it because he plays just a total alpha male loving douchebag influencer I mean, Joe rogan he's, he's, he plays he plays a version of joe rogan yeah i figured only like with I, I more of the right-wing the, tropes if you can't take away my gun yeah, and yeah. all that shit or i was gonna say the Infowars guy but yeah. yeah same same basic persona but he's also just right? huggable he brings this weird aspect to the character where it's like you want to hate him because he's everything that just i find the antithesis of being a, an actual functioning human man and yet it's like, okay, he's kind of lovable in a way. And that's, that to me is a stunt because that's Bautista doing that. That's not the character so per se. Yeah. And so he's just, he's the most accomplished wrestler turned actor that's working today. He, he, he can act rings yeah. around any of them. I don't care who you throw up against him. He's just, he's good. I've had that opinion since uh, Blade Runner. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yes. I was like, yes, he was one of the most interesting, compelling actors in that film, and he's only got like two, three minutes of screen time, right? Yeah, yeah. but he makes a mark, doesn't yeah. he? So, yeah, so yeah. it's fun. It was also fun to watch him and Daniel Craig do a, a meetup after they're uh, doing Spectre <laughs> together after the Bond film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was fun. And then, oh yeah, huh? yeah. And then also, if you if you go back. Uh, a bunch of years, Catherine Hahn and Kate Hudson 
acted together in one of those awful rom-coms that Kate Hudson did. I think it was uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days or something, whatever that one was. Yeah. So, so they came mm. to the table as well with, with a past. So it's just yeah. all these weird uh, sort of I've had I've had a Catherine Hahn crush for years. Right, I love her. Ever I since think she is funny, she is hot, she's great. Ever, she's just great. Ever since Step Brothers, man, that was the one. Yeah, and ever since I don't know what it's actually called, but I I think of it as the reboot of Used Cars, the one with all the car salesmen. Hmm. I don't know. And that one. Jer- don't and know uh, Jeremy Piven is like putting together like a a crew of like badass car salesmen because this one place needs to sell all these cars it's ah, fuck me i cannot remember the name of it i'll i don't know (laughs) okay i don't know what i'll do uh you keep talking and i'll find it but yeah but she's also fun because she's playing like a the governor of connecticut and this is where it becomes a very equal opportunity thing for ryan johnson because he's not just going after the the super elite uh republican bozo shitheads and the the MAGA mm-hmm. the MAGA doofuses, but he's also going after like the supposed uh, liberal progressive arm of America, and she is just totally uh, in the pocket of Braun, just like everybody else. But she's the other end of the spectrum. She's the left wing, and it's just so funny to watch yeah. her flail about. But I think what what I enjoy is the setup because it's set in May of 2020, so it's right at the start of the pandemic where everybody was starting to get a little buggy. And when they show up to the island to meet the boat and they're all wearing, and the way they're all wearing their masks or (laughs) not wearing their masks, I think is one of the most pitch perfect introductions to the individual characters in any movie I've seen. And I don't know how long. It's very efficient. It's amazing. And there's actually a video of Ryan Johnson doing a breakdown of that scene and how it's blocked. Oh, really? And the masks and all of that. Yeah, there's, it's on YouTube. Ryan Johnson does a breakdown of that. But yeah, like, um, uh, I, I just can't remember Goldie Hawn's daughter's name. Kate Hudson. I can't Kate do Hudson. it. Kate, uh, Kate, Kate Hudson. Hudson. Birdie. Yeah, Birdie comes Jim. in um, with, a, with a mask that isn't a mask it's at all. Like it's just mesh. like mesh across yeah. her. And then she takes it off and is like, oh, I can breathe. Yeah. You know, and just, yeah. <laughs> um, that, that bothered me a little bit because why go to the trouble of establishing this particular story in COVID, in 2020, when you're immediately going to have it have no bearing on the story, other than it's a cool way to uh, introduce these characters. Well, I think they hand. address it in the sequence where Blanc is in the bath having the online mystery game, doing poorly, I might add. It's what, Among Us or something? Uh, but he's right. playing... Yeah, he's playing Among Us with Stephen Sondheim and Angela yeah. Lansbury. <laughs> and, uh, and, and flailing miserably. But he gives that little mini-speech about how when he... You know, his mind is like a race car, and right now he just can't race. He needs a good case. And the pandemic, I think, is the perfect setting for that because literally nothing was going on, and he was just trapped stewing in his own juices. And so I think it was a good shorthand for getting people together for that island adventure and then being able to shorthand their yeah. characters. But then you have Ethan Hawke show up just out of the blue as bronze assistant, and he gives them all what you assume is some sort of COVID cure he just says you're good you're good yeah. you don't need the mask so a either braun has a covid cure because he's the richest asshole on the planet and he's not sharing it with anybody or it was a placebo because he's just more an idiot. likely yeah 
Exactly. So, <laughs> but see, so I'm, but I'm expecting that to have a payoff. No, no. It's all set up and no payoff. Like the otherwise, you could just have a timeless movie that takes place on an island, and who cares when it happens? But this is like, no, this is specifically 2020. Yeah. Like, must be 2020. Well, I mean, it just, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I think you're right. I think you could have ended it. Like, the final line could have been, well, one thing's for sure. We're all getting COVID. Yeah, really, that really. Right? <laughs> could not have possibly worked. But, but yeah. I think it also just, it, it plays into the way he's got the characters structured. Because it's, you know, Blanc's got his very stylish mask. The, like, the maroon with polka dots. And then uh, Birdie J.K. Hudson shows up with the mesh mask that's just useless. Because she just doesn't understand how anything works. Her assistant is basically wearing a mask and is like, no, I'm not touching you. I'm not doing this. Um, and then the scientist, Leslie Odom Jr., is very much like, here's my mask. It's perfectly placed. I understand that this is a risk assessment. Then you've got the Connecticut governor, who's very messy. It's like almost to her nose, but not quite until she realizes that. Yeah, she's chin yeah, diapering. <laughs> until bit, she realizes yeah. that she's not doing it. And she's like, oh, fuck. So that's like her deal. Uh, and then Bautista shows up, mm-hmm. and he's just—he's like, "Screw masks, screw that noise." So it's just—it's—it was fun to watch as an introductory thing, and I think in time it will play better because if you're basing that on stuff like Agatha Christie, which is set in like the 20s and 30s, it just—it I mean, it's—it just hues to that particular time, and so I think that was more the aesthetic he might have been going for. For me, it worked. I mean, I—I could—I could answer my own question by saying that. He's making a commentary on the mm-hmm. times. He's making a commentary on these, you know, male chauvinist influencers yeah, yeah. and the female influencers that are piggybacking and the tech bros and all of that. And, and that is all very much of this right. time. So I, I guess that's an answer. But yeah. again, it's, it's like the only thing in the script that doesn't pay off. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know. It's he's he's not interested so much in the traditional mystery setup as I think he isn't just being satiric in certain aspects, and that's a good shorthand for it, is my mm-hmm. thinking. But yeah, yeah. no, it's efficient yeah. to tell. But just all the stuff that it, I think it's also a way of like if you don't, you have to acknowledge that there is a you know a a pandemic going right. on, but you can't have the whole film blocked so that nobody is catching COVID from each other because. Yeah. It's distracting. So it's like we have to say, okay, yes, there is a pandemic, and no, this is the last time we're going to talk yeah. about it. So it's maybe that was the thing. So I mean, it's just it's just fun. But I mean, there's just so much going on. Like I mean, take the movie title for instance. I mean, literally, he knew that onion was going to be the metaphor, and I guess Johnson went through his playlist looking for any song with onion in the title, and then he centered on Glass mm-hmm. Onion, which totally pays off. Because Glass Onion from the White Album is just John Lennon writing a nonsensical song, which is basically trolling every Beatles fan ever with these just nonsense lyrics, you know? And it just fits perfectly mm-hmm. for the, the thematics of this film. But then in the movie itself, on the set design, you have all these little nods to it. You've got the Fool on the Heel ceramic thing, which is like the failsafe override for the Mona Lisa. You've got like a strawberry fields glass thing when they get into all the shattering stuff. Uh, so there's you have the guitar from Blackbird. Yeah, yeah the whole White Album yeah. is here. So um, it's just all these little inside meta jokes uh, that work. But when you watch it the second time and you see how not just it's it's a tight script, 
but then you see how tightly the set design is, the production design. It's like that's it's just on point from the get go. Like Knives Out had the weird clue themed or a uh, slew themed like house with the the old school uh, gizmos and gadgets and games, and this one it's like Catherine Hahn's character just calls it the Tate Modern because it's like his collection of art, but it's just so random. And obviously just set up by someone who doesn't know a fuck about art. <laughs> it just made me laugh. Because in, mm-hmm. in inside jokes, like in the background at one point, there is a, a Mark Rothko, which is basically black on the outside and then a red stripe, blue stripe, because Rothko is just about the primary colors and whatnot. But it's upside down, which suggests that Braun doesn't know <laughs> anything about art. It's just there. Then you've got the one which is his head, Edward Norton's head, on like the muscular body, and then you realize that it's Brad Pitt's body from Fight Club that they put Edward Norton's head on. Oh, I didn't and catch that, that, but of course. So it's it just is. all that little stuff in the background that's just sort of them going winky winky, ha 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 ha, as all the other stuff's going on. So there's Easter eggs for days in this thing, and I could watch it forever and probably keep finding stuff. It was so much fun. But there you have it. All right. Can I, can, last thing, the film I was trying to think of, I did find The Goods, Live Hard, Sell Hard. Okay. Directed by, by Neil Brennan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, very, very, very funny movie. Very meaningless movie, but very funny. Uh, so, uh, one thing we didn't address did you like the addition of Hugh Grant in this thing? Yeah. Uh, I mean,. There's, I, I thought that was great. We're going to finally address, yes, this character is gay. Yeah. Move on. But I also love the, the <laughs> wink and the nod to the whole Holmes Watson thing. So it's, you know, that's 21B Baker Street oh, right there. Yeah. So I'm, I am very hopeful that Hugh Grant will make an appearance in the next one and have a larger role because... Oh, won't that be... I, you're right. That's, I just, I would love to see that yes. in, on so many levels because it's yeah. just, if, if Hugh Grant's just going to be like a little knockabout throwaway, I will be so disappointed. I kind of had a feeling that, yeah, that is sort of everything he, he is, that, that's it, that is all he's going to be because you never really delve into the detective's life. Yeah. It's like, he'll probably show up again, you know, and yeah, play out some small portion right. of that. I mean, it'll but, work. Yeah, he's not going to be a major part of any of these stories. But, I mean, just, yeah. But to go from the, the cast... Well, he's right there if they want to do it, but, yeah. But, I mean, just... Obviously, okay. the casts are, are spot on, and the production design is great. Like, the cable knit sweater from Knives Out that Chris Evans was wearing, I think, has been replaced by that uh, two-piece uh, blue and white striped swim ensemble that Benoit Blanc is wearing in the pool. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just so many things going on from the top to the bottom that by the time you get to the end and the mystery is unraveled through the series of flashbacks, it's just, you're like, I, I don't care how they got here. I just like the ride. And that's basically what I hope he can accomplish with like 10 more of these things. I'll watch these things till the end of time. If I'm being honest, I just love the character. Well, he seems to want to make them to the end of time. God bless him. Well, and, and we're going to make this podcast at the end of time, and it's so dumb. It is so, so uh, but dumb. But if you want to find out how dumb, 
You can subscribe to the podcast. <laughs> it's just dumb. Yeah. No, it's subscribe not a to the podcast. It's not a word. <laughs> we have we have reached the infraction point, people. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm, I'm ending the show. Go to our website, maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com, and figure it out from there. Hey, we'll see you next week. Yeah. Jeez. Mom, I'm recording. <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>